Welcome to this. Hey, 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 everybody. Again, we missed you. We missed you, missed you, missed you. And we thank you for joining us again for a great show. We have a phenomenal guest. Um, I'm Jamie. I'm Latoya. And I'm Calandra. And today our guest is coming from Australia. I love her accent. It is beautiful. I just love it. She's already started talking and I'm just like. (laughs) (laughs) So Miss Tiffany is a big, big advocate in co-parenting. And we found that to be a very unique conversation because it is such a today issue. Um, Some think it's a great idea. Some think it's a bad idea. Some think it's it can be done. Some people think it can be done. So um, I'm going to give it over to Miss Tiffany and let her give her um, a little bit more about herself and, and, and let us know why she got this started. Thank you so much for having me here. It is a, a real privilege to be able to talk with you. And uh, yes, I am on Wadjuk Noongar which is in Perth, Western Australia. And I... I'm excited to talk to you because knowing um, how to co-parent well after separation is a super tricky minefield for uh, parents to navigate at a time when their hearts are heavy, there are so many emotions happening for them, Um, they've got the the stress of learning how to uh, live across two homes and, and figuring out what is right for their children and for themselves. And my experience in in when I first started working in this space was that there were plenty of legal services for families but so few therapeutic supports or coaching supports to actually step parents through how on earth to make this massive change so there were plenty of parenting courses for you know just standard raising the kids or if you're raising kids with additional needs there's you know training resources and even funding for that but for this major life transition that families were going through they were largely just being left on their own other than massive legal fees and further conflict and so when I first stepped in, I was working with families that were entrenched in the legal system and were going through trial, had been there for up to seven years. I don't know what it's like over there, but in Australia, it can take four years for a matter to be resolved through the court. That's a quarter of a child's lifetime. And my real sense in that space is we are we are starting too late. We don't want to be there at the time that this conflict has been going on for the parents, for the children, for all of that amount of time. We want to be there wrapping around families at the time that they're making that transition so that they have uh, resourcing and support and don't have to figure it all out by themselves when they're going through their darkest, hardest days. Okay. Well, I say that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I don't know if it takes four years in America. Either way, the process is difficult, whether it's four months. You know what I'm saying? Like you're saying, it's a difficult transition. And I think it's an inter- interesting subject, especially for um, women um, and men who are in relationships with those people who are dealing with that. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this subject goes today. Go ahead, Ms. Tawaya. <laughs> so can you tell us where did the passion come from? Like, why are you so passionate about the co-parenting? Um, 
I've always been passionate about parenting full stop. When I first uh, started my career more than 20 years ago, <laughs> which makes me feel a, a little old now, but I, I think I've still got more years ahead of me than behind me for that. Uh, I, I thought that I wanted to really work with children and teens. I, I thought that that was a space that I wanted to be in. And I quickly realised in my early career that if I was serious about supporting the outcomes for children and teens, then they weren't the people that I needed to be directly in front of. It was parents that I really wanted to be able to serve because I might be able to see a child or a teen a maximum, maybe, you know, an hour a week, but parents are there all of the time. The, the, the starting point was actually not to do with separated families, but working with families of serious repeat juvenile offenders. And it was the very best place to start because we were going in and working with families that so much of society had rejected and judged. And when we first were going into those homes, that was their fear about us as well, that we were another service that had come to judge. And what I saw was people working as hard as they could, loving their kids as much as they could and completely lost at knowing what on earth to do to help these kids out. Nobody uh, dreams that they are going to uh, raise children that will end up incarcerated. And right. and so being able to work with them with, with compassion, to be able to uh, look at the context that had created the situation that they were in and, and particularly um, unfortunately, in Australia, so much of that is about multi-generational trauma and um, and huge systemic issues that are far bigger than the family. As I started working uh, later in career with separated families, what I found was in many ways they were having an, an even tougher time mm -hmm. uh, because society kind of seems to expect that I don't know if it's just because separation is so common that uh, people think it's just all kind of sorted out uh, uh, but 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 these are families who are very much being left to their own if, if you have um if you have a, a serious illness within a family or some, some other kind of trauma or tragedy then there's a casserole roster that happens and there's people doing collections to um to help out with financial expenses there's gofundme campaigns but we we don't as a society seem to wrap around separating families in the same way and then with that is that much like the families that are were raising juvenile offenders, I don't know that many people dream of uh, falling in love, creating a family, mm -hmm. and then separating and <laughs> moving out and living across two homes. Like it's it's not it's not anybody's vision board to do wow. that, and um and and so making the decision to do that is terrifying. It's hard work mm -hmm. and it's freaking courageous to actually make that call that it is going to be healthier for me as a parent. It's going to be healthier for my children if this relationship stops being a romantic one and transitions across to a co-parenting one. 
But then, and this is what drives me nuts, is that if we go to all of our reference sources that, that we have um, outside the therapy rooms and coaching spaces, we have sitcoms and, and movies. And um, in our family, we are a big fan of, of the uh, Marvel world. And most of those stories involve people who have been raised by sole parents with complete estrangement from the other parent. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's not a lot in the mainstream narrative about how two people can co-parent together and raise children as uh, part of one family across two homes. Okay. And you kind of touched on my next question. So you said that it takes courage to end a relationship that is not serving all members. Because I know a lot of people find that they kind of take it hard or be hard on themselves in situations like that. Like I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good parent because the relationship or the marriage didn't work. So a lot of people stay in bad situations for the sake of the kids. I see it all the time. Excuse me. That's exactly right. So often, so often the first story that I hear is a story of of failure, the story mm -hmm. of we've let we've let the kids down, or um, or I've let the kids down, or I made the wrong choice. Sometimes it's a lot of um, anger and grief towards the self. Sometimes a lot of anger and grief towards the other party. But none of us have a crystal ball, and sometimes yes. the the grenades that are thrown at relationships are ones that the context in the history of these people they they weren't given the skills to navigate or or they were just they were just too much for where they were at at that time and when i think about what that is like for for children and for parents to be in that system and and we've all heard of those stories of people who do stay together for the children and i would say that sometimes the best thing to do is to separate for the children because Correct. the children do far better in two harmonious homes than they do growing up in a home that has a, a, a toxic culture because the, the parents mm. are just trying to stay together. Uh, and the whole concept of we're staying together for the kids or when the kids move out, that, that's when we can, can go our separate ways is terrible modelling. For the kids, honestly, because it's, it's not modeling what a healthy romantic attachment can be like or or how to honor your own needs and to say, I, I matter here. And it's a disservice to the person that you're in a relationship with, because I fundamentally believe that each person is incredibly lovable and mm -hmm. um and worthy of having a connected relationship with someone who celebrates them, who brings out their strengths, yeah. who helps them be their best version of themselves. And if if that's not the person that you are um, in a relationship with and you, you've worked doing that and you, you, you've tried the best that you can, if it's done, it's done. And, right. and then the, the right thing to do is to allow yourself to leave. Correct. Because I always have believed if you're happy, in your life and what you're doing and in your space, you can be a better parent. Absolutely. So if that means you got to be with somebody else or live across town, then that's what you need to do in order to be a better person and a better parent. Completely, completely. 
So the next question, Miss um, Tiffany, what do you feel like is the biggest barrier and challenge for the co-parents? And I think we've kind of touched it a little bit and mm -hmm. the things that you've already spoken of, but what do you think like in your practice, like what are you seeing like the most common barriers being and challenges? There are, there are so many. And I think one of the biggest challenges is that we love our little people with our entire hearts. They, mm -hmm. they are an extension, not an extension of ourselves, but you know, they are hearts outside of our bodies. And for most parents, the idea that those little people's heads are not going to be on a pillow at their home every night of the week mm -hmm. is devastating. It is. Devastating. And when there is that context of of hurt and anger or betrayal or all the feelings that come up in the midst of a separation, it can be exceedingly hard to make room for not only not having the child with you, but to have the child with that other parent or to hold the view that that other parent is having that same experience of a grief and, and um, distress at not being able to be available for the child. It can be really tricky for parents to know what it is the best kind of shared care arrangement. Mm -hmm. And and so often yeah. we will have two people who are very committed to the best interests of the children and doing what's right for the kids, but they have very different views about what that is. Mm -hmm. oh. And yeah. it can be really hard to step through <laughs> when, yeah. when often the communication skills have been one of the things that has been really tricky for them. Yeah. And I think particularly for uh, for mums, what can be really hard is that when, when it's been a household together, predominantly still we have mums doing the, the lion's share of, of the care work and, um, you know, the, making the school lunches and doing the homework routines mm -hmm. and, and tracking all of those things. And often there can be a sense of um, resentment or a, a sense that the, the, the father hasn't been contributing or, or mm -hmm. um, as involved or as emotionally attuned. Right. And what often happens when they separate is, is that, the father's like, well, I've got to step up. I have to step into this space. And they and they do, but it can be so, so hard and um and hard on the heart for mums in that space to be able to recognize that that is happening and, and also to make room for the grief that it wasn't happening before. Mm -hmm. And yet I would also look at it and go, that speaks volumes to what that what that father's view was of the mother's capacity to provide for all those needs and do all of that caring that um that it speaks a huge amount about how valuable her role has been mm -hmm. and of course it's not always uh, mums in that role and dads in that role and we're not always looking at mums and dads either but, um, we may have mums and mums and dads and dads mm -hmm. uh, but whatever we've got there's that big change in what those relationships are going to look like and then I think the other one I'd like to touch on and then I, I better stop there otherwise I will just keep going um, 
<laughs> is is the new drawing the new boundaries knowing yeah. what information should you be sharing with your co-parent um what what critique what advice should you be giving your co-parent uh-huh. because it's it's an entirely different relationship to be co-parents across two homes than it is to be an intact family and uh th- there's no clear-cut a guide that you can pick up and says these are just the boundaries you should have from now on and learning how to have those new boundaries is a tricky tricky business infinitely doable and well worth doing because it makes the load so much lighter there's so much less you have to carry if you have some clear boundaries in place so do you think that um when that the other person starts to date someone new that causes friction with the co-parenting as well right it really does. It really does. And often often we will have a co-parenting dynamic that's going fairly well. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes, when the somebody new comes in, that can be incredibly unsettling. And for anyone who's in that space who might be listening to this, one of the things that I would really want you to know is nobody replaces you ever mm-hmm. in the hearts of your children. And the, the the fear and anxiety is normal, but absolutely nobody can replace you in their hearts. And if you are listening and 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 it is you um, who is in a new relationship, the key piece of advice that I would give that person is tell your co-parent before you tell the kids. Give them the opportunity to meet the new person in a neutral space, have a coffee together, have a Zoom call together. Let them know who it is that you're bringing into the child's life and respect them as your co-parent and the role that they have in the life of the kids to let them know. What that does is allows the other parent time to have all of their emotional reaction, right, to be able to process it, to be able to make sense of it, so that when the children do come to talk to them about it, they're ready to show up and be the parent because they're not having to deal with their own shock or grief mm-hmm. right in front of their kids. It's it's always best to never blindside your co-parent with hard and difficult news because you just don't want your kids to be exposed to that part. You know what? That's a good way of looking at that. And and I'm and that I said that before. You know, we kind of got into the questions asking you, you know, the, being the people that are getting in relationships with parents that are going through that within their home. You know, I've always felt like, you know, I it shouldn't be this big meetup in this big interview process. And because I always feel like, you know, you never know, you know, I may not even be talking to you next week. You know what I'm saying? So that big, this it always have kind of been a bothersome to me to have this big sit down with this person and and whatever as get all these questions asked and everything because I feel like I can lie to you about everything you ask me you, you, see, you see what I'm saying and not really mean any good or whatever the case may be or maybe I need you know maybe I'm good but I'm just trying to hurry up and get out of this situation because I'm uncomfortable too but the way that you present it you know it it it, it kind of makes it a little bit easier to maybe be you know Am I making sense? Like maybe be okay with sitting down with that person and trying because you're basically saying, "Hey, um, the emotional outburst that may happen, or the 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 discomfort that the parent may have, whether it's the mom or the dad, you know, is 
decreased if there was a heads up kind of is what you're saying if they were given a heads up look absolutely and and I'd hate I would hate it to ever feel like it's an interview process because uh and I think that comes back to the boundaries conversation is that you've lost that right <laughs> um to to have that say over right. who they're in a relationship with and whether or not um that that person has a role in the life of the children however I would say that if you if you love yourself, if you think that you're a pretty damn fine catch, chances are your co-parent has exceptional taste. <laughs> so, so if you'd met this person under other circumstances, you would probably be really good friends. Uh-huh. And we, we often create demon stories about the other, about the person that we don't know, about the stranger. And yeah. it is so much harder to do that when you've come face to face and for for the new partner coming in because obviously that that could be an incredibly scary thing for them to be doing it's it's also really useful for them to be able to see who is who is this person and um for them to be able to get to know each other on their own terms and not through the lens of the person who has uh been with one and is now with the other mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think, though, that it's very fair to uh, to wait until and wait until the relationship has some really good legs in it to, to know that it's actually got yeah, some <laughs> some some roses. That's what I'm saying. Also, I think all the time, um, I always feel like the mom is not in the discomfort situation because kids tell their moms everything. They tell them everything. Usually, what I've experienced. They'll come home and tell their mom everything they did with the dad. They're going to tell the mom everything they did with dad from when they got in the car all the way to they came back home and was in the driveway. But kids don't necessarily do that with dads. They don't come and tell their dad everything they've been doing with their mom. So in that, I feel like by the time we do meet, she already knows probably where I stay, where I work what I look like, what my, you know what I mean? What my house looked like. So I've always felt like that interview is really not her trying to be comfortable. Like who is this person that's going to be around the kids? It's really all about being nosy. You know what I'm saying? Like, who is this? Who are you? You know what I mean? The kids been coming, <laughs> you know, talking about you all the time and things like that. So it's like having that conversation with you. Like you have no idea about nothing about me that kind of bothers me. Am I making sense or am I sounding like real like defensive? You know, just let me know. Just be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I think I think you are I think you are making sense. I think it speaks to why it is so important to meet the meet the co-parent before the kids meet um the new partner it, it just it gets around all of that and it means that instead when the kids come home and say hey mom I've 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 met um the new partner and she's really lovely mum go I know isn't she the best like we had the greatest catch-up the other day and it can mm-hmm. make it so safe <laughs> for kids to feel that they can continue to tell mum everything because if they if they become worried that they have to protect mum or keep secrets from mum because because mum can't handle it and it will distress mum, then that very precious relationship that you've just talked about changes. And the other thing I'd say is I, I think um, predominantly you are right that children 
often tell more to their mums than than to their dads uh, mm -hmm. probably because of, of some of the things that we talked about before in, in terms of those mm -hmm. early mum has been doing a lot of that stuff sometimes of course it is the other way around children will often have one parent that they tell more of the things mm -hmm. and that's not a sign that the other parent isn't a good parent or isn't an attuned no. parent no. it's just a, a different relationship and those different relationships that the children have with each parent serve really important um, functions and purposes so one of the things that um, generally dads excel at far better than mums is all the rough and tumble play and um, the kind of the, the boisterous mucking about and, and wrestling and all of that stuff is uh, essential for kids learning resilience and learning the boundaries of play and, and uh, learning a huge amount about um, their body and space and time. And I, I've really tried, like when my, my, mine are tall now, but when they were, were little, I tried so hard to do that with them at times, but I just, I am really good at cuddles and reading books and singing nursery rhymes. Those are my strengths and <laughs> rough and tumble is just not it. Well, until next time, there's strength in sisterhood and support in sisterhood. Bye. Bye.